Welcome back to another Youth Center podcast. Rick Gorman from the YC here. And this is part five of our six-part Leadership Savage Leadership Series. And today I'm lucky enough to have old friend Rich Napolitano, who's going to be speaking to us today from his great work he's doing over at the Greater Lawrence Family Health Center. So, Rich, welcome to the Youth Center podcast. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. Uh, Really appreciate being here. Awesome. All right, Rich, as you know, and most of our listeners know, we don't like to do a bulleted bio. We want the person to actually talk a little bit about themselves. So uh, for the people in North Andover that may not know Rich, who is Rich Napolitano and what makes him tick? Well, I've been, uh, I grew up in the Merrimack Valley, um, born in Boston, but my folks moved up to the Merrimack Valley. I grew up in Andover, graduated from Andover High School. Um, went off to St. Michael's College up in Vermont and uh, got my undergrad and my master's degree up there. Loved it up there. Um, thought I was going to have a career in student affairs and um, worked in student affairs for a while. Um, went to uh, Siena College in New York as an assistant dean of students. Uh, really enjoyed that and um, eventually fell into uh, a foundation work working for a large nonprofit in Albany, New York serving the disabled. So since then, for the last, the better part of the last almost 30 years, I've worked in nonprofit work, mostly in uh, advancement and fundraising philanthropy type roles um, in education, social services, and healthcare. Um, For the last eight years, I've been at the Greater Lawrence Family Health Center locally here and, you know, based based in the Lawrence community. Um, Our corporate offices are in Methuen. And there, I'm the chief strategy, senior vice president, and chief strategy officer. And all leaders actually have a personal life. So, how about a little shout out to your amazing family? Yeah, I have. Um, I'm married to a wonderful wife, uh, Eva. Eva. Um, we've been married for a little over ten years now. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, between us, we have four children, age 28 to 20, um, three boys and a girl. And uh, we currently live in Methuen. Um, as, as I mentioned, I work at the health center, and, and Eva works for the Home Health Foundation. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later, because Eva is definitely the brains of this outfit, but <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Rich, we ask all of the guests our, our first question. A lot of the questions will be geared directly to you, but all of our six guests are going to be asked uh, certain questions. And the first one is, how would you describe Rich Napolitano's leadership style? So my leadership style is definitely one that's team-focused, collaborative leadership style, um, trying to involve as many people as possible um, in the team team environment. Um, I think that's important. Um, I think leaders of teams need to be to to include as many folks as possible on their team, Um, not look, you know, they got to treat the, the, you know, the old saying, you treat the janitor just like you would treat the the CEO and the the C-level person, C-suite folks. So my, I would say my management style just in one, one word would be collaborative. Okay. And all leaders have some kind of values that they live by. What would you describe your leadership values as? You know, I would say passion, um, passion for the mission, passion for what you're working, uh, working for or working towards. Um, I would say loyalty, um, loyalty to your team, loyalty to your family, loyalty, loyalty to yourself. Um, and I think self-awareness, too. I think that's important of any, of any leader to have some self-awareness. 
Really good. Now you've had a number of stops. Um, you know, I didn't know you when you were out in New York and obviously working at Siena, but I, I got to know you uh, when you were back here, Lawrence Academy and other different sites all the way up into the Greater Lawrence Family Health Center. How would you say that each stop in your professional career has made you the leader you are today? You know, I think every every place of you know, people work, you always have the opportunity to, you got to take advantage of the the, uh, the learning opportunities, right? So, um, I, like I said, I spent a lot of my career in fundraising. So there, I you know, in in different different industries, social services, healthcare, um, and education. But in all of them, they were all mission driven. So, you know, you have to have a belief in the mission, and I think that's one thing that I learned along the way. Um, in order to feel passionate, like I mentioned before, is a value of mine that I think is really important for leaders is to have that passion. Um, I think you need to, um, you know, focus on that in terms of your leadership. And, and I learned that along the way. And each stop you realize, okay, how much of, how much of this is really going to, is, is resonating with me and everything that I do, you know. So um, over time, you know, raising money and, and for different mission-driven organizations was always something that I did, and it was a job, you know. Um, now, um, in the work that I do now with the health center, um, I enjoy going to work every day. And it's took, taken me a while and throughout my career to, to get to the point where you really enjoy being at work every day, being at work every day with the people that you work with, the people, whether it be on your team or whether it be your colleagues, um, and, and then also with the patients and the customers that you're working for. So um, that's really how it's kind of transformed for me over the years. Yeah, and I live by a quote that if you find a job you love, you never work a day in your life. And right. When I look at you at the Great Lawrence Family Health Center now, and I'm not saying you're going to stay there forever, but over these last eight years, I've seen you transform into, to be honest with you, I actually think, think of you as even happier in your professional career now yeah, and, maybe, no and maybe some of your early years which I know that was rough at times so I like to ask our guests and not everybody has to have a mentor um, I think people have mentors maybe not even know when they were mentors but who were maybe Rich Napolitana's mentors when you were either growing up or even in the first careers in your professional life you know I, I would definitely you know it it, it for me, um, I, when I first think of mentors, when I, when I think about this question, because I've gotten it a lot, um, I think of my grandfather and I think of my parents. Um, you know, my grandfather was uh, the youngest of 10. Um, my great-grandparents came over from Italy, um, and he was a longshoreman and up in Maine, um, you know, um, at the Old Port, what they call the Old Port in Portland. And he basically, you know, he had to uh, provide for his family of five of five children. And my grandmother, he was he had such a hard work ethic. And then I worshipped the guy because he was an official, like I am. You know, he was a he was a baseball umpire, very accomplished baseball umpire. He was a basketball official, football official. So, you know, for him, that's where I kind of got the bug to to do that. And I know, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. And then I would say my parents. And I think for my parents, it was more about. Um, work ethic, but it was also how you treat people. Um, if anything, I learned from from both of my folks, but especially my mother too, is um, the the importance of being kind um, and being tolerant of all different types of people, in 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 realizing the the differences between people and, and respecting that. So, 
those were really my my true mentors. Obviously, I mean, obviously, you you, you know, you're getting parented. You know, um, for those of us that are fortunate to have two parents in our lives, I mean, you know, I was very fortunate, um, and you know, they helped shape me and my brother and sister for, you know, for what we're all doing today. I mean, we're all working in nonprofit work, um, and neither of my parents did. My mother was a my mother was a nurse. Uh, my father worked in in downtown Boston as a, as a business executive, but. You know, we all got that bug to work for mission-driven organizations, whether it be healthcare or education. Absolutely. Um, I've had the, you know, being here as long as I've been here, I've gotten a chance to work for every town manager North Annals ever had, and each one of them is very different. When you look at your professional career, what type of a leader did you really enjoy working for, and maybe the type of leader that you struggled with? Yeah. The, the you know the first part the, the second part of the question is easiest um you know the micromanaging type of leader who is um, doesn't really give you the autonomy to um, to do your job you know um, those are those have been the toughest for me um, you know um, they could be experts in the field they could be very excellent at what they do they've had those experiences but not to you know help someone learn and grow has always been difficult for me. Um, the, the leaders or mentors that, that, I've, that I have worked for and worked with, it was more of those collaborative type of leaders that wanted to bring you along, wanted to help you grow, and expected the same thing from you with your team and the people that reported to you. Those are the people that I've worked best for. Yeah. And who did you, you know, you talked about the micromanagers and things like that. Um, when you look at yourself now um, in supervising a lot of different people, do you think back at sometimes of how you know how you were maybe led, and is it really consciously on how you lead now? Yeah, I would say so definitely. Uh, you know, um, you know, I, I catch myself when I'm talking to people on my team or my number two in the office, um, and then I stop myself and I'll say, you know what, this is your decision. You know, you you take this and you run with it. If you need me, you let me know. You know, but that's why you're here. And um, you know, I think that you know you always got to be learning. So you know, I try to remember back on what I learned and that worked and what didn't work. I uh, have had the pleasure of getting to know you outside of your nonprofit work, um, and you have a leadership role in another part of your life. You're a basketball official, a longtime basketball official, also a longtime basketball signer. And we had, a, we had a great visit yesterday from one of the best to ever play in the bond. Um, Tyler Nelson was here yesterday. He, he actually presented us with his, his jersey from playing overseas in Germany this year. And one of the questions he asked is, hey, how's Rich doing? Um, and uh, how has maybe your career in officiating and assigning helped you in terms of being a leader? You know, um, the officiating part is just, um, I, I'm so grateful that I, that I took it up um, and started doing it. I started doing it when I was in high school. I was never good enough for Will Hickson and uh, Tommy Rise's basketball teams at Andover High, so I started officiating. We had the, like I said earlier, we had the bug in the family from my grandfather, and, um, you know, um, I never knew, you know, I thought it was just something to make some extra money, but that was 1982. So... You know, 38 years later, I'm still officiating basketball, college basketball, high school basketball. You know, and it's just it, it, what it's taught me is, you know, management skills, 
um, communication skills with all different types of people, whether mm-hmm. it be kids, parents, other referees, coaches, um, scorekeepers, all those things. And um, it's really, you know, helped me kind of mold my communication style with people. And, you know, the game management skills. I mean, one of the things that if you were to talk to my supervisor, the one of the reasons why I think he likes putting me in games um, is because of my ability to manage a game and to make sure that, you know, we don't hit any, you know, as we call them, uh, break into jail or jackpots in the game. Very few of those happen, um, you know, in, in games that I've worked. And, you know, those are the things that, um, you know, that I've, I've taken from it. As far as being an assigner, the reason I enjoy that much, um, as so much and would like to continue to do it in the future as I maybe will step away from refereeing, you know, and then, you know, I don't know when I'll do that, but um, is to help other people learn the craft and grow in the, in the, in the business. I think you got to give back. Yeah. And we're excited because uh, people around North Andover know about our famous North Andover Fall Ball League, which had to be put on hold last year due to the pandemic, but we're planning on being back this fall uh, for one of the best fall varsity leagues in New England. And uh, Richie is our assigner, so we'll be seeing Richie and his stable of referees back in the next couple of months. Describe maybe a, the toughest decision you made and what, or, or even just what guides you in making tough decisions. You know, I think what guides me in making tough, you know, I was asked this in an interview recently, um, you know, um, what, what drives you crazy and, um, as a leader? And, and for me, it's, um, it's indecisiveness. You know, I mean, I think leaders have to step up and be ready to make the tough decision. You know, I've had a lot, we've had to make, all of us as leaders have to make a lot of tough decisions. Um, you know, um, you know, for me, I, I just expect people to, to not make hasty decisions, but make informed decisions, but don't belabor it. You know, don't, don't put off something that you know you need to make a decision about, you know, and, and I think those are the things, that's the thing that drives me crazy about leadership and decision making is sometimes, you know, you want to have that collaborative style, but at the, by the same token, you got to make tough decisions. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, for instance, in the most recent time, it's been, you know, whether or not someone on our team, you know, is a fit or not, you know, and, you know, whether you need, you know, whether you need to just kind of pull back fish or cut bait on something or somebody, you know, because it's just not, it's not the right fit, mm-hmm. you know, so those are always tough decisions. And, you know, hopefully they're few and far between, but they are tough decisions. No, without a doubt. All right, let's get into GLFHC. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, uh, you know, Joe Biden became president, and there was really going to be a plan to distribute the vax, uh, the vaccine. Um, your organization became one of the one of the organizations throughout the country that was going to be distributing this, and and being this is a huge undertaking, uh, and I think most people know that. You know, how are we going to get people vaccinated? What was the best way to do it? Uh, and there was so much leadership from your organization, and I know it wasn't just you, but you were a major part of that. What type of leadership went into just getting the whole thing ready to roll out? Yeah, you know, it's ability to put together a team, the ability to trust and respect each other and what we all bring to the table. I work with three, three or four um, colleagues that make sure that this thing logistically runs every day. You know, um, we meet every afternoon. Um, sometime between four and six o'clock, we spend a half an hour or 45 minutes talking about what happened during the day and what we have to get planned for, 
for the next day to the next two weeks. And we do that every day, Monday through Friday. Um, you know, these, these four folks, um, you know, there's no way that GLFHC could have done this with just one or two people. Um, we have vaccinated to date. Um, we have provided over almost 75,000 individual vaccinations. We've, we've vaccinated close to 44,000 people with at least one dose. Um, we're pretty proud of that, you know, and there, there's a reason why the Biden administration and, and um, Health and Human Services at the federal level has chose community health centers to be really at the front of the vaccine distribution, you know, and we were one of the first 200 in the country to be identified. There's about 1,500 community health center organizations, and we were one of the first 200 to be identified and one of the first in mass. And there's a reason for that, you know, and um, we, um, we, we're at the ground level, we're at the grassroots level with, with, with our pa well, not only our patients, but the community. And, uh, you know, we've, we have four consistently run vaccine clinic sites right now, three of them Monday through Saturday. Um, and um, the other one is at North, the Northern Essex campus on, in, in Lawrence. And that, that seems to be going as well as also. But what we're finding now is that in order to pull this off, we've had to now bring the vaccine out to, to people. people. Yeah. So, you know, there were, you know um, there, there were, I talked about this last week and, um, you know, with, with local folks, the Tribune, you know, they were looking for, you know, to get answers on where we we're going with this. And, you know, we need to go out to the people to get more people vaccinated because there's a number of people that might not otherwise, either they, they won't seek it out themselves or they're having trouble accessing the Commonwealth's uh, online system. Right. So we're bringing it to them. New Balance we've done. We're going to be working with area schools and setting up special days for them because the, the age eligibility has has broadened quite yeah. a bit, especially with Pfizer. So, you know, I, I could talk about the vaccine thing all day, but the, the people I work with that are doing this every day with us um, and for us, they're just amazing. So let me talk a little bit about, because I actually saw it up front. Uh, so I get a phone call from my town manager, Melissa Rodriguez, who was a pre previous guest on this Savage Leadership Series, along with Christina Minicucci, another previous guest that we've had uh, in her role as a state representative, uh, to try to bring together your organization, my facility, uh, the North End of a Housing Authority. The goal was to try to vaccinate all of the people in the North End of a Housing Authority. We did it two, two days, one day in February, one day in March. Uh, three weeks apart, four weeks apart, whatever it was, but it was a phenomenal rollout. It was everybody was involved with it from the town perspective, the housing authority, your organization came in. We had a couple of Zoom meetings, we had a couple of walkthroughs, but I was so impressed with the professionalism of how this was carried out. And I tell people to this day, uh, the faces of a lot of the senior citizens after they got their second shot. Everything from few of the senior citizens dancing out the door uh, to people crying, feeling like it was Christmas Day. Uh, it was an amazing community collaboration by everybody. Well, I was happy to be in you know, our facility. I didn't do anything except greet people and, and have our facility. But the group of people you brought in, everybody from your site coordinator all the way to the nurses, uh, to the people that were setting up and taking down, great group of guys I got to know pretty well. Um, it's amazing what you guys have done. And like you said right now, the next, next thing is going to be, you know, how to go out to the people. And you've done that because you've worked very closely with my sons. 
a nonprofit, the, the Movement Family, where the GLVHC has been involved with everything from flu shots with the homeless to, to vaccinating them. And it's amazing what you guys are doing. So kudos to everybody at your organization. Make sure they know that what we think about them over here and uh, brighter days are coming. I, I kid you a lot when I see you on social media or in the newspaper, I usually text you. Um, and you actually represent GLFHC at a number of conferences, uh, whether it's in Washington, D.C., whether it's in Boston, whether it's locally. Um, what is your leadership style when you have to represent your organization to the public, press conferences, you yeah. know, interviews, that type of thing? Yeah, so when I got to GLFHC, you know, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the area. I never knew anything about GLFHC. I never knew the, about the health center and whether or not that it even existed. Um, I was looking for a job. I ended up in this in this role um, back in 2000, at the um, right at the beginning, January of 2014. And one of my charges, one of my the expectations for me was how do we raise the brand? How do we raise the profile of the health center? So not only um, you know our our image, our brand in the community as a healthcare leader, but also philanthropically too. So. Those were the two things that I had to focus on right off, right out of the right out of the gate. Ever since that I since I've been at the health center, it's always been in the back of my mind to make sure that whenever I'm talking about the health center, about the about our staff, about our patients, about our mission, it's always been about the health center and raising that brand, raising that profile. Now there could be a PR thing where we're talking to the we're asked where we asked for a quote from the Tribune or the Globe, you know, or it could be presenting at national conferences, but we've become, and, and it's not, it's because of the call, uh, my colleagues, and it's because of our um, re-emphasis on this um, over the last eight to 10 years, is that we're, we're focused, we, we wanna be considered a national leader. We wanna be considered a, um, an employer of cho choice in the area, which I think we, I believe that we have become. Um, you know, we're always trying to compete with with folks. Um, you know, employee. You know, um, you know, making sure we retain staff and we retain good staff. Focus on our workforce and employee engagement is important. So, when I'm talking to groups or I'm talking to, whether it be the press or I'm making sure that we have the right person or a medical professional talking to the press, it's always with that in mind of raising our brand. Yeah. So you'll see, you'll see Rich on. He's got a lot of FaceTime. I always mm -hmm. tease him about that. But he does a great job with the GLHC brand, which is very important. How are you continuing? Um, you're a little younger than me, not much. Um, mm -hmm. How do you continue to grow in the area of leadership as a guy in his 50s now? You know, I, I try to read as much as I can. I, mean, I probably don't read as, as many books from front to end as I'd like to. Um, I usually do that in my off time or vacation time on the beach or something like that. But, you know, um, I try to, you know, um, watch different videos, um, talk to people, learn from others in the business and the community health center movement, as we call it. Um, and I, you know, I've identified some people that, you know, whether it be my, my current boss and my colleagues who I always learn from every day, and I'd like to think I do the same thing for them, or or it's people that work in the business, um, either nationally or, or locally, uh, statewide. That that's I think you got to be learning every to be a good leader. I think you got to be not afraid or not admit that there isn't always something to learn. And I think if you're if you're really focused on becoming a better leader, you're always trying to learn, and you're always focused on something like that for yourself. 
Well said. I stand by, if you stop learning, you stop growing. And I think that's just really true. Um, if I had to put in the room right now, I don't know, six former employees of you through the years, the young rich, the, the rich in his 40s, the rich in the 50s, what would they say about your leadership? You know, I think that they would say, you know, I had, I, it's funny, I've been discussing some of this with two two former colleagues of mine that worked on my team um, when I was working at a job in Boston back 15, 16 years ago. Um, it's more, they, I think they would say he was always supportive, always kind, and kind of always looked out for us. Um, I'm very, you know, I've been, you know, at times I can be very protective of my team, which I think is important. Um, you know, sometimes I might be to a fault or be overprotective, but for the most part, um, I think that's what people would say. Um, they would say, you know, a strong leader in terms of mentoring and, and bringing us to a, to the, to a place of, of growth. Um, you know, two, two of the individuals I think about were, you know, when I was running a fundraising shop in Boston and they both have, um, you know, over the last 10 years, one of them, I fact, in fact, thought she was never going to be, I don't think she ever really aspired to be a, a true leader or a C-level, C-suite level fundraiser. Um, in the business, and now she's like an assistant dean at Boston University. Mm. I mean, she's um, in advancement, you know, and she's done a great job. I mean, I'm friends with her on Facebook, and she literally was working on and, and talking about, you know, writing a million-dollar proposal last night that she knows is going to be closed in the next week or so. That that that, wow. that means a lot to me. That's important. You know? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. You have um, gone through, we talked a little bit about it. it's not just the work, the professional. There's always personal life stuff that goes in it. You, you went through a tough divorce as a young man, and um, Nikki Knapps, uh, one of our favorites, your son, um, battled uh, leukemia, um, and those were tough times for you. How would you say those life changes maybe affected you uh, when, when you were leading, and how it maybe changed how you lead? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it changed me personally. I mean, yeah, those were tough times um, back you know, 2007 to 2012, 13, um, those five or six years, you know, between going through a divorce with my kid's mom and, um, and then have Nikki get sick with cancer, it, it, was, it was tough. But I think it's made me, a, um, you know, what do they say? Tough times don't last, but tough people do, yeah. you know. And um, whether or not I consider myself a tough person, it certainly helped me um, realize um, really what was important in life. Um, it's not all about money. It's not all about, um, you know, it's, it's about happiness is what it's about. It's, an, it's about happiness, and it took me a while to realize that as I went through that process. But when, Nick, when my son got sick, um, it made me realize even more the importance of family. Um, family is really, you know, the, the saying with the young kids now is what the FOE family over everything mm -hmm. you know my son has t-shirts like what that says that and uh, you know and, and, and I'm glad he does you know um, I'm, I'm glad we I've tried to instill that in him and all my kids um, you know my three kids and my stepson and, and you know that's how I think it changed me not that family wasn't important for me before but it's certainly now it's at the it's, it's at the forefront of everything I do and I have I tell my staff in my team that that's an expectation of mine of them and um and i think people are relieved when they hear that you know and um i didn't always get that 
growing up in my career, you know, but I think it's important, you know. So I think that's one thing, I think the biggest thing that I brought out of that. And the great news is Nikki's doing great, finishing up his second year at Keene State College yeah. uh, and doing really well. So um, let me talk to you about a word that you've used a few times. What does servant leadership mean to you? You know, um, servant leadership is, you know, for me is, um, you know, you're working on behalf of the, you know, of the greater good. You know, what are, what are you doing to improve the life of others? And I think that going to work at, every day at Greater Lawrence Family Health Center gives me and my colleagues that opportunity. Um, we, um, you know, the focus of the mission is providing high quality health care to, to the underserved. Um, that's what the community health center movement was founded on. Um, and I really believe that. I think, you know, health care is a human right, not a privilege. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think we go to work every day, you know, thinking and believing that. And I think that's important. And I expect the same thing from our team. Um, that's what servant leadership for me means is, you know, you're working on behalf of the greater good. You're, you're, you believe in the mission and you know that what you're doing, you're, you know, you're serving the public. You know, you're serving your patients. Unbelievable. Good point. Um, I'm going to give you a quote, and this was a quote I think of you. It's a quote from Rick Hendrick, who owns mm -hmm. a lot of auto body stores and things. And the quote is simply, none of us is as smart as all of us. What does that mean to you? Right. You know, none of us is smart as all of us. You know, I'm certain I have a team that, you know, there's, there's a dozen of us or so on the team in, in, in three or four different important areas for the health center. But when we all come together, it's important that we all put our minds together in cer on certain things, certain projects. Not one person is ever going to be as smart as the whole group would be together. And the whole group, um, you know, providing input, providing feedback, um, I think that's important. It's not, you know, sometimes you're not going to reach, reach consensus. We certainly like to do that. Um, but, but at the end of the day, we all want to leave the room feeling good that we made the right decision or we're taking the right approach to something. And I think with that, you know, that quote really speaks to that. You know, not one person is ever going to be as smart as collectively, if you think about it, everybody putting their heads together on something. Absolutely. So. What would be something that your employees or even your peers through all these years may not know about you? You know, um, it's funny. My, my peers, um, you know, it took a while. I know they do, they do now, but I mean, it took a while for them because I didn't really, I didn't talk about it a lot. But my, you know, we talked about about my basketball officiating. They probably figured it out over time. You know, I might talk about a game or something like this, but I don't think they realized the how, what an important part or role it plays in my life. You know, it's not so much the ball, the basketball itself, or you know, it's 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 the competition. It's the it's the ability to communicate and the camaraderie. Um, with others um, as part of the game, the, the game management. It's, my, it's really my, my kind of my sanity check, my release. Um, you know, some, some people gamble, some people golf, some people, you know, hit, in the, hit the clubs, whatever it might be, you know, but I, um, or they play tennis. For me, it's, it's officiating. You know, I've, you know, we've known each other for a while too, and you know that, I mean, some of us who really want to do it, we could, we could officiate all year long, mm -hmm. just that one sport. You know, because it's such a big deal now. But so people, you know, my peers and my colleagues realize how how much of how important it is in my life, and um, and they respect that, which has been fantastic. I've been very fortunate that that 
colleagues and and and, bo and supervisors, bosses have have really given me that opportunity to um, to still officiate basketball and um, and make keep it as an important part of my life. And I, you got to also have a supportive family too. Right. So you know, I have the. I have the best partner in the world, and Eva, that you know supports everything I do, and especially you know the, with the basketball, because I could be working from seven to five, and then be you know gone to Waterville, Maine, on a Wednesday night, mm. and, and I get up early in the morning, and I'm still back at work by seven thirty. So it's just the way it is. Sure, know? so for sure. What accomplishment you still have to write. Your story has still many chapters to go. But when you look at your life right now, what maybe has been your biggest accomplishment so far that has uh, maybe given you the greatest satisfaction? You know, um, I would certainly say, you know, like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fathers, a lot of parents would say certainly they're kids. Um, you know, and, and that for me is my probably my, my biggest accomplishment is my kids and, and what they're becoming and how they're you know how they're they're uh, managing their lives I mean um, but I would also say the current job that I'm in now um, finding this job being successful in this job and happy to go to work every day is probably you know professionally my biggest accomplishment um, you know it's the best job I've ever had um, I don't ever see myself at this point leaving the community health center movement um, I really enjoy it I'm not worried about what you know going to the next position or what's going to happen. I mean, it's just, I'm happy to go to work every day, you know, and um, for me, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, you know? for sure. So We're trying to build future leaders here at the Youth Center, and I think we do a pretty good job with that. Um, but what would you say to maybe some of my kids that are going off to college or to, their, to the workforce, or even those kids that are graduating college as they head out to their first real professional work at this point? How do you, what advice do you say to them as future leaders? You know, I would say take advantage of all the all different viewpoints that you can possibly get. Um, you always want to be learning. I mentioned learning learning in the past in, 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 uh, before, but try to figure out what you're passionate about if you don't already know. You know, and try different things. Take risks. Um, you know, when you're early, when you're young and early in your career, that's the time to take chances and take risks. And I mean, I don't mean crazy things but I mean you know take calculated risks take take the opportunity to try different things um, travel you know meet meet new people um, you know go out um, if I had to do it all over again you know I maybe would have traveled by myself I've seen and heard and talked to young people now that that try doing that and they meet new new people and they do their own thing and then they realize what they're really passionate about and that's you know that's what I would suggest people yeah do. you know who's a perfect example of that is a, a young man that we know really well um, obviously, our good friend Perth Hamill passed away, but his son Lucas, um, yeah. Yeah. Lucas is exactly that way. Graduated Keene State, um, spent time in in China. He spent time overseas. He came back here, um, did some stuff at Methuen High. I found out yesterday from the guys at the Boys and Girls Club that he's actually interviewing for a big job in the Boys and Girls Girls Club system in Colorado. Mm -hmm. He's always got to be a guy that's probably going to be out of this area. But yeah. his traveling, and he did it all by himself, I uh, was always impressed with him. I think it's yeah. truly found he, what he's passionate about. You know, it's he. I'm glad you brought him up, actually, because he, um, he I, I, I just love that kid to death. Um, he is such a wonderful influence on my, on my youngest son, Nicholas. Um, Nicholas could be home 
you know, if it's, you know, for a week or three weeks or four weeks at Christmas time before he's got to go back with the team. And, you know, as you know, Nick works with the team. Lucas was a star player on the Keene State team. Lucas always makes time for Nicholas. Always makes time. Takes him to breakfast, takes him to lunch, and, you know, basically talks him up and um, tries to figure out what he's doing, where his head's at. And, um, you know, Lucas is... Um, in many ways for Nick as an extension of Bert. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Nicholas, you know, Nicholas had a really strong relationship with Bert and, um, and Bert had a huge impact on him. And to have Lucas still act in that same way is, is so important for Nicholas. So it, it really means a lot to me. Yeah, it's tough for me. As you know, Bert's one of my mentors and was one of my closest friends and uh, still think about him every single day. But one thing, I, when I heard the story about Lucas yesterday, I know Bert's uh, smiling down because mm-hmm. Lucas, uh, as well as his other two kids, are just phenomenal young people. All right, we're going we're gonna to wrap up with a couple of things, two more questions for you. So the first one is uh, kind of like our five. And I'm going to give you five leaders' name. And I gave you no prep on this. I want you to tell me what you think about when you first hear this name. So the first one, Elizabeth Warren. Dynamic. Um, Elizabeth, I know I've met and had been in meetings with Elizabeth Warren, and I know sometimes she can be very controversial for people, um, you know, whether it be on either side of the aisle sometimes. But um, I, I, what I appreciate the most about Elizabeth Warren is, is how dynamic she is but also um, the support and the loyalty that she has shown community health centers. Um, and in terms of the Senate, there might not be a stronger, uh, for us at least, advocate for community health centers. Yeah, no doubt on that. Um, a famous name in the, in the GE, General Electric, Jack Welch. Um, you know, with Jack Welch, um, I would say superior leadership. Um, he... Jack Welch, um, you know, I, I try to read some of his stuff as much as I possibly can. Um, just a, a hugely respected leader. Um, people didn't always agree with him, but they always knew where he stood. Absolutely. How about Michelle Obama? Um, Michelle Obama is um, refreshing, brilliant. Um, I, um, I appreciate Michelle Obama. Um, to, you know, it's no mistake that people know that I'm a, you know, definitely a, a liberal Democrat, um, not too far left, but, you know, I really always have appreciated Michelle Obama and what she stands for. Um, I respect her a great deal. So. Bill Gates. Um, I would say Bill Gates a visionary. Um, you know, what he did and what he's done with the Microsoft and, and the, the IT, the computer, you know, age is just um, remarkable, really. And and he's very, the other thing about Bill Gates is he's trying to, you know, he's obviously with his foundation and with his billions and billions, he's tried to change the world and make the world a better place, which I I respect. For sure. Last one, it's gonna be someone that a lot of people won't know, but I know you and I know this person real well, and you were close to this person, Larry McIntyre. Oh, wow. You know, um, loyalty is really the first thing that comes to mind. Um, lo- you know, one of the things you learn and you try to teach these young, these younger officials coming up is the importance of um, loyalty to the not only the avocation but to your to your partners on the floor. And Larry, you could be the worst referee in the world. You could be a, a real jerk, 
um, on the floor, but he always expected when you worked a game and he put you in that position to work a game that you were going to be, you were there as a team and as a unit. When, when you went on the floor before the game, during the game, and after the game, and he always expected that. So with Larry, he, he, he preached loyalty, and he preached loyalty to the, to the avocation of officiating, and he was one of the best. You know, he was one of the best. He was an original Big East official, and, um, you know, he probably stopped younger than he needed to, but he did that, though, so he could um, continue to mentor young people and assign, you know, games. He was a great... He'd, he opened up opportunities for me that I'll forever be grateful for. Um, you know, having the opportunity to, as a kid that never really played high-level competitive basketball but loved it so much, to be able to work multiple times in the Boston Garden is just, you know, something I'll never forget. Yeah, I got to know Larry in his later years and just a very, very nice man. We lost Larry a little over a year ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but obviously, COVID. yeah. COVID-related and mm -hmm. uh, obviously had an impact on a lot of people like Richie in the officiating world, but just a really good guy. All right, last thing, Rich, and then we're going to let you head back to the GLFHC. We're going to give you the final word. You kind of gave some advice to our young leaders. What's the final word you want to say about leadership to the general population? You know, I think the leadership thing is, is to, um, for me, it's embrace leadership. Embrace the opportunities. If you want to be a leader, embrace it, learn from it, um, try different things, um, respect people, um, you know, preach that to your team, the importance of family first, and then the job will come. Um, I think that's important for any leader. Um, and, you know, if you lead collaboratively, I don't think you can go wrong. Absolutely. Well, Rich, I want to thank you coming on our Savage Leadership Series. This has been great. A lot of great takeaways for for myself and for the listeners. So again, thanks for coming on the Youth Centered Podcast. Thanks for having me, Rick. It's been great. We're going to wrap up our six-part series next week with uh, local uh, landscaping legend, uh, Chris Downer. Um, I got to know Chris when I first started here. I was a young guy running this new youth center, and uh, he was a 17-year-old kid along with his brother pushing their little lawnmowers around town and uh, over the last 35 plus years or so Chris has um, built this along with his wife Nicole and their family have built this into the, one of the biggest landscaping uh, programs in the Merrimack Valley and does a lot more than just cutting grass. It's going to be great to catch up with him on a lot of his leadership uh, style, a lot of the things that he does running and growing his company. And I'm sure we'll chit-chat about his big uh, North Andover basketball days also. So uh, I want to again thank Rich, and uh, I really appreciate everyone's continued support of the Youth Center podcast. And after we finish with Chris, we'll get back to some of uh, the new things around town that we've been talking about. So as we end every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion.